SQL Down Under is a podcast for professionals working in the SQL Server community. SQL Server is a trademark of Microsoft Corporation. Opinions expressed during the podcast are individual opinions and may not reflect the opinions of SQL Down Under or of Microsoft Corporation. Introducing Show 44 with guest Simon Sabin. Our guest today is Simon Sabin. Simon's an independent SQL Server consultant and trainer in the UK. His website is at onarc.com. Simon's always worked with SQL Server since 1998 and has focused on high-performance, reliable systems. He has a particular expertise in the world of search, distributed architectures, business intelligence, and application development. He loves making websites and applications run faster through scale-out technologies and performance tuning in databases. Simon was awarded an MVP for SQL Server in 2006. He runs user groups in London and Cambridge. Uh, In particular, we note www.sqlsocial.com. And in 2007, founded SQLbits, sqlbits.com which is currently the largest SQL Server conference in Europe. He's a regular speaker at SQL Server events, as well as writing for his blog, which is at sqlblogcasts.com slash blogs slash Simon S. So welcome, Simon. Hello. <laughs> indeed. So good to have you on the show, finally. And, uh, yes, finally. <laughs> indeed. I'll get you first up. Tell us, how did you ever come to be involved with SQL Server in the first place? Well, I... Uh so I graduated from university in uh, 97, uh, joined a consultancy, which was uh, at that time called CMG. Uh, it's now been consumed into the Logica name. And I joined as a graduate and became interested in uh, working with um, systems, got actually put on Oracle systems to start with. And what I found was that... Um, Worked on a small local system running um, the deregulation energy market. And then, as with many consultancies, you sort of go where the work is. And the next bit of work was with SQL Server. So I um, went on a training course and picked up SQL Server 6.5 at that point. And uh, then when started working on a Microsoft SQL Server project, uh, converting a Fox Pro claim system into SQL Server, which was um, amazing and really got me into the whole performance aspect of um, databases. Uh, When you're converting data that's got millions of rows of data with X numbers of columns, you soon find how the smallest operation um, on converting a single column can impact your performance hugely, a million times a hundred it's a large number, so it's, you can it's make a big even, number. Yeah. Yes, very big. And even if you can make milliseconds worth of savings, that per per call, that starts really impacting your performance. And so that's went from there, um, and uh, haven't looked back from there. Indeed. And so, tell us a little bit um, about your current role. So yeah, I'm currently an independent uh, consultant in the UK. Um, I seem to be doing a fair amount of training at the moment, uh, which is always fascinating for me because uh, I think it's 
I have an MVP and uh, you, sometimes you get a bit engrossed in the whole sort of MVP world of and sort of working with some of the sort of best people in the world you sort of soon forget um, some of the basics around SQL Server and yeah. how a lot of people don't really understand lots of the internal stuff yeah. and it's really fascinating for me to sort of try and try and pass that information on to people so they understand indexes properly yeah. and uh, trying to dispel lots of little myths about indexing and uh, mm. database tuning. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that. I've been running a few sessions lately where, again, it's yeah, just absolute basic sort of indexing and index structure and index design and things like that. And it is easy to forget just uh, that, that that is just not common knowledge, unfortunately. Yeah, it's... Uh it's, it is quite amazing. You just you just come across so many scenarios where people go. Um, they've indexed that they, they might know about indexes and they've gone and indexed something one way um, and thought. And the, cl- the classic is they've got a table and they've got a where clause that's I know where first name is Fred, and so they put an index on first name. Yeah. But because the index doesn't cover the query, the index doesn't get used. Yeah, um, and and it's not very selective in the first place. Yeah, so the yeah the, it, it's kind of interesting. I, I was mentioning on my blog. Um, most of the time, I only ever mention books that I really like, right? I, I tend to only do that in the in the category of you know, if, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything. But very true. Yeah, indeed, that, that's always a bit of a one. And I often have people say, well, you know, every time I read a review, I know you're going to say, you know, recommend it at the end <laughs> because you only ever do ones you recommend. So I broke with tradition recently and did post some stuff about one of the books. Now, when I got uh, database refactoring as an area that's kind of fascinated me for a long time, okay. and I had Scott Ambler's book was the kind of like the first one that really tackled the subject, I thought, in a good way, uh, apart from like uh, refactoring that you know, you'd know you have in the normal dev world. But at the, at the database world, I thought it was kind of good. Um, but the thing is, I didn't like the way he kind of did things because everything was done at like lowest common denominator SQL. It was all done via triggers and you know, things that you just... <laughs> Uh, the way he did it, you just wouldn't do it in SQL Server necessarily. Um, and so I, I was kind of always hoping there'd be another book came along. And I broke one of my own rules in that I uh, was on the Amazon site and it said, you know, uh, you, you enjoyed that book, you'll probably like this one. <laughs> and it pointed me at uh, a new book, uh, which was called da- Refactoring SQL Databases. And... And so I picked it up, and I mean, it was like pre-order as well. It hadn't even come out. Where normally I only order books from people, you know, when people have said, "Hey, hey, Greg, this is a good book. Go and get it." And so I went and got this book, and oh dear, I was sitting there reading it, and uh, May thought it was funny, but I described it as like a, a train wreck of a book. You know, it was like a, a thing where I was sort of reading it, and you could see it was going in the wrong direction, and it was going to be a, it wasn't going to be a pretty outcome, but it was too late to do anything about it. But it was it was really indexing was the thing that threw me most because what he was doing is he was building indexes that weren't very good uh, for the queries that he was dealing with and then he was coming to the conclusion that indexing itself wasn't very useful. Oh, <laughs> and you went, oh, you know, yes, it was really sad. It, it, but it was interesting again that typically the thing he was doing was exactly the same thing where he'd have some column that he thought he was selecting on and then indexing that column only and and it was just a, a horrible index yeah and i think the other thing is when people have got say two filters and they so they put two indexes on and think that the, the database engine will do that 
yeah. um, that use both indexes. Okay, in some BI scenarios it will, but largely it won't. And mm. I think one of the things I try and get across to people when I'm training is SQL Server isn't magic. Yeah, It doesn't yeah. magically just merge your data and your tables together. It's all it's code. It's SQL Server.exe is a load of mm. code. It's got loops in it. It's got... <laughs> generating structures in it. it 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 is just that so mm. if you can't imagine how you'd write the code to do that then that's going to be a difficult yeah, guess thing what to, it probably to... isn't going to do it either yeah that's yeah, yeah exactly it's funny you, you, you sort of use that analogy I, I tend to use a very similar one i i look at people that spend their life staring at execution plans trying to work out what's wrong and to me it always feels like you should be able to work out how to do it yourself and you should almost be using the execution plan just to see that it really ended up doing it the way you expected it to do it you know but <laughs> I, I always like to have a mental picture of how on earth i would actually answer that query if i had to you know as a as a human sitting down doing yeah it. yeah I, I think the area that, that I find most fascinating is when you're when you're dealing with large volumes of data so you're combining a table with 200 million rows with another table with 100 million rows another yeah. table with 100 million rows and that's when things go a bit off the wall and <laughs> I think and it's interesting when you look at the features that are going into SQL server a lot of them are around those sorts of areas where really it comes down to really theoretical sort of mathematical algorithms mm-hmm. that the database engine has to come up with uh, the whole yeah. bitmap filter stuff in um, 2008 for instance but um, yeah yeah I mean, so I mean, you mentioned books um, I'm actually uh, editing uh, a book at the moment by Christian Bolton uh, on troubleshooting and I did some, did some more editing at the beginning of the year and I think it's it's very easy to write something, but to write something as a book that reads well, I think, is very, very difficult. Yeah. Um, trying it's, to get it's, it is tough. Black yeah. and white, it's very tough. Actually, I think even uh, what people underestimate is that even when you get the technical part of it right, even the process that it then goes through is, is often, like, amazing in most of the... Uh, in fact, I've just finished doing a chapter for... Uh, it's its next um, inside T SQL book, and uh, I've done sort of uh, extended events and uh, auditing and change tracking and change data capture. But the thing is that once you have the technical stuff down, it, the whole process of the the tech editing, the sort of pulling it in, making it flow right. But even little things like uh, just they the try and make sure that if somebody's following along with the code in the book, for example, that you know at the end you always make sure you undo all the things you did in the in the chapter and so on. You know, there's all this sort of stuff which is quite separate to getting across the technical concept. But there's the whole just the the rigmarole of how they do it and uh, and other things I found quite strange. Um, at first, but even things like the names of features, uh, the capitalization of that on MS Press, they, they determine that based on what's in books online, right? So, <laughs> if, you know, if a particular feature has it in capitals in books online, then in the book it will have it in capitals and so on. Uh, and so, uh, interestingly, I have things like change data capture as lowercase c, d, and c, but extended events as capital E and capital E, you know, this sort of thing. And I was going, whoa, <laughs> it, it's, uh, it's kind of an interesting exercise going through that but uh, anyway yeah no it's, it's certainly interesting trying to get yeah. uh, the whole uh, thing but I think it's really interesting that the amount you have to uh, focus your thinking uh, to, to be able to get it down to a, a readable chapter in a book 
let alone a whole book. Yeah, I'm, I, I mean, I've been I've been blogging for I think I'm probably one of the the longest sequel bloggers. I mm. think that's partly why I got I'd my MVP so. in the first place. Um, and uh, I'm, I just sometimes I sit there with a sort of doing this editing for books. And I'm just like, are books really the thing? Because it's almost like trying to write it in so in such a concise way to fit it into a book often you've got to miss so much stuff out yeah. um, and whereas a blog you can just write endless blog posts yeah. um, and change them and uh, but um, books books are still popular but, yeah um, they are I, look I, 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 I do still love them I, I love being able to pick a book up and take it with me and sit on them well I spend too much time on planes anyway but sitting on a plane reading a book still still works for me you know it really does yeah, I think there's something physical, nice physical about a book. Um, I mean, I've got I've got a room full of them. Luckily, um, people send me books to review and stuff, uh, yeah. and uh, so I've got a nice set of books. I was I was learning MDX the other day, and um, it's always nice to be able to flick through a page rather than yeah end up, end up doing a big. Actually, now there's an interesting question. What what book did you read for MDX? So I've, I've actually come up with a rule, um, which is the uh, the third time rule for learning something. I think <laughs> the, the first time you do it, it's very difficult to sort of really pick it up and be able to just carry on running with it. Second time, you get a bit more familiarity. But I think the third time you go into something, you start seeing stuff, stuff and you just end up with this recollection and you can then start moving things forward mm. um, so I think this is the third time I've picked up MDX and mm. uh, so I was reading two books um, one was uh, Chris's, Chris Webb's yep. uh, MDX book apply, I think it's Applied MDX yeah. and the other was um, the, I'm just trying to look around my office for the book and I can't see it um, was the Attache Consulting uh, MDX book I yeah. can't remember what it was, but it nicely covered things. Um, and I think the problem from from a relational perspective going to MDX is you just, it's just a head thing. You've got to get it in your head straight um, to figure out the differences and the similar, similarities between writing SQL and writing MDX. Um, but yeah, no, I do. I actually quite liked also, I've got one of my colleagues, uh, Mark Whitehorn, also from the UK, I might add. Um, and Mark had uh, a SQL 2000 book uh, on, you know, it was something like Easy Path to MDX or something like that. I, I actually really enjoyed the book. I um, I just wish he'd built uh, a 2008 version of it, though. I, I did pester him recently about that. He said he might. Yeah, I remember meeting Mark at a 2005 or 2008 launch event I think and uh, he's a, he's a, is he a technical he's a writer isn't he Generally. yeah I think out of uh, the three people that were involved in that book uh, one was kind of like the product manager the other one was Mosher who basically came right, up okay. with the language and then uh, and then I think Mark was basically the uh, you know the professional writer and technologist who was the one putting the book together yeah I, I think the one thing about MDX is in SQL rewriting queries Sometimes pays dividends, but in MDX, rewriting queries can phenomenally um, change how things are done. Um, it's quite well, amazing. 
In terms of things that can, uh, I think, a little bit uh, able to change apps and things, today's topic was about search. Now, um, one of the things I've found, if you look at full text search that's been part of SQL Server for a pretty long time now, uh, I've found that whenever I do a session on full text search, I find there are three groups of people in the room. Most of the room has never touched it. <laughs> there are a few people who've come along to find out what's different in the latest version, and then the remaining people, there's a handful there that have old pain associated with earlier versions. Uh, do you strike similar things? Yeah, I think there's, there's probably a fourth crowd as well, and those are those people that have um, that are really using it and have either decided to keep it or gone with something else like Lucerne or um, mm-hmm. one of the other sort of open source type um, search technologies. Yeah, and uh, yeah, completely. The, I, I was really pushing full text in 2008. I've got a whole series of um, full text posts on the new stuff in SQL 2008 mm. um, and uh, so I was really pushing it and you, you go along to a session 100 people and two people put their hand up saying that they'd, they'd use full text um, and I think it's because it's, it's a bit like replication it's got a big stigma attached to it um, people either don't know about it or people, some people go oh you can't touch that that's really complicated it doesn't work um, it really, really bugs me when people say that about replication as well. Um, yeah, it's like, you, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Configured properly, it's actually a really good. And actually, what intrigues me with replication is that the next, the next part of that is people always presume they can roll their own and it'll be better anyway. <sighs> yeah, I completely. I, was, I remember meeting one of the um, Microsoft evangelists in the UK last year, and uh, he was off to a client and. Uh, they wanted to roll their own replication, and it's like Microsoft have been doing replication for good goodness me, ten years. So they've ironed out lots of those issues that you <laughs> yeah. will come across. Okay. There's, there's the odd few things you you mightn't have thought of. Actually, I found one again. Another one I find is things like Service Broker. I was at a site just this week oh. where people had you know again building their own queuing system, and then you start saying things like, "Okay, well, how do you handle poison messages?" And they go, "What?" <laughs> and you go, you know, there is a reason that somebody else has gone to a lot of trouble thinking about these things. Yeah, we, we, I'm actually uh, building a session at the moment on Service Broker, which is a very interactive session. We, um, the hope is that we turn up with a wireless router and a laptop, and then hopefully people turn up with their own laptops and we just get them to download a little install which sets up a service broker um, um, set up between their machine and our machine. And what it allows us to do is show how we can scale out using service broker. So we start off with using the local machine and getting so many transactions per second. But then what we do is we essentially turn the local machine off for processing and just distribute all the requests out to the people in the audience and see how things sort of pick up and what's great is the fact that you can get people to turn off their machine and requests start getting routed to other machines and it's just such a resilient um, mechanism it's uh, 
Um, yeah, it's 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 under it's, it's interesting. It's underutilized, and it's uh, we did do a, did a session with uh, a podcast with that with Niels Berglund many years ago, but uh, a couple of years back. But I think it is another one I must actually get some material on because if I if I look at it as a topic, um, it always comes up that people say, "Oh, well, you know, it's underutilized." Whenever I talk to the product group, but then I say, "Well, hang on, you know, you gave us no tools." And no prescriptive guidance. <laughs> you know, you actually gave us good plumbing, but you know, like I mean, uh, without those other things, I mean, yeah, you can't really expect that that there's going to be a lot of adoption. But in terms of full text search, to get onto that one, so maybe if we just start with what you can do with full text search and why it should be of interest to anybody, because as you say, if I find if I put a session together for say TechEd and I have full text search in the title, then people will go, I don't use that, and they don't come. But if I put something that talks about, you know, I usually put a more meaningful title, like, you know, uh, answering the, the queries you users really want to ask, <laughs> you know, or stuff like this, then you can start to get people to take another look at it or, or realize this might be something of interest. But, but so what is it we do with full text search that would be of interest to people? And why does it matter? So with, with full text search, what you have the ability of doing is looking for words and uh, within text. Most people start off when they're looking for, for doing that sort of thing is they start off writing like statements. So I want to, f- I've got a product description column on my product table and someone's doing a search on the website and they want to find anything that is a, um, I don't know, car and so what you can do is look within that product description for the word car and without full text search what you're limited to doing is writing a like statement which is like percent car percent and then that will return everything that has got the three letters car in it now that's got a few limitations so one is the fact that um, it will return anything with car in it, either three letters. It doesn't search for the specific word. Um, but more importantly, what it's doing is, because you're doing percent car percent, SQL Server can't use an index to read that data. What it's got to do is essentially scan the whole table to get hold of that data. And with full text search, what it does is essentially takes the product description, splits out all the words that are contained within it and then creates its own little index um, which is the full text index that's got those words in it and so when you come along and go right, I want every product that contains the word car then it can go and find anything that has got car in its full text index and return those, that data very efficiently so it, it enables you to do searching within textual data um, essentially that is what full text search does yeah yeah, I think it's an interesting technology in that uh, I often sort of, uh, again, very similar example, I say, I mean, if you go looking for pen, the problem is that you, if you do like, you're going to find pencil, you're going to find pendulum, you're going to find everything. Open, so, yeah, yeah. yeah, and of course, uh, with the uh, the internet, you'd find anything to do with the male anatomy you know, or things. There's going to be stuff everywhere, so it's going to be everything but what you actually want to go looking for. And uh, But uh, also then we have the ability to do other words, like uh, I suppose maybe we start with near for example. Yeah, so beyond looking for simple words, um, you've got the ability of finding words that are 
near near each other. So if you wanted to find anything that is looking for SQL Server integration services, now um, what you could do is put it in quotes and look for a specific phrase, but what you could also do is look for something where SQL Server is, ne- is near integration services, and so you're finding a more relevant content. And that's the key aspects for full text search and search generally is all about getting relevance now search is not an not a precise technology there's no way that you can look allow someone to do a search for something like integration services and give you an exact match back uh, i'm not going to find you that exact one document that you want so what the aim of search is is to provide the user the um, the data in a relevance um, mechanism. So um, if you're searching for a pen and you're using like, then what you'll find is lots of irrelevant content, which means the search is a very poor experience. With full text search, you can essentially provide a better relevance. And what NEAR does is NEAR will um, expand beyond the phrase of SQL Server Integration Services to other documents that have got SQL Server Integration Services together, but maybe not as a phrase. And so what you're doing is getting more content, which may be more relevant to the user. Yeah, I suppose that's the whole concept, is that we have a concept of, as soon as you get into fuzzy things, you have a concept of ranking. So it's sort of, you know, the the fact that something is nearer to something else, you know, just increases perhaps to you its relevance. Uh, Most people have had the experience where they go searching for, uh, you know, something in a, a system and they search for two words and when they get the return, you know, there's one word at the top of a, a, a 50 page article and the other words at the bottom and you, you know, it just has no relevance at all in terms of what you're looking for. So, um, yeah, so you do need, what, what I find interesting is that if I look at how IT people work, IT people love systems that are, I would say sort of nice and neat and precise and things like that, and yet end users don't. They they love stuff that's soft and fuzzy, and <laughs> you know, and and you've only got to look at the success of search engines and things to know that that's how people actually want to search. Uh, you know, yet almost no systems we build give them that ability. Yeah, that's in, that's an interesting comment because I th- there are definitely two two different people in the world. So search also, I I encompass search as just finding content and. Uh, there are definitely two different types of people, those that like doing a keyword-based search. But one of the things, so um, previous job I had was running the uh, database architect uh, team on totaljobs.com, or Total Jobs Group, which runs totaljobs.com and cwjobs.co.uk and other job sites in the UK. And so it's all about finding people, getting people to find their jobs. And what we found was that there are a certain number of people that, that like doing keyword-based searching, but having to put in complex keyword structures to try and find jobs you want is maybe not what you want. So there's this other area which is all around, um, I, I maybe call it discoverability, which is around people browsing for um, data. So they know they live in London, so they'll click on London. They know they want an IT job, so they click on IT. They know they want something in um, 
sequence so database stuff so they click on database they want something using SQL 2008 so they click on SQL 2008 and so what it means is that people can browse the data and uh, so that's there are two areas there and what I find is that search needs to encompass both of those uh, I mean if you look if you go to eBay for instance uh, eBay is very good at this in that um, what it can often do is start off with a search and then start going and clicking on um, subcategories of data. So you look for, um, I was recently looking for a bed for my son, and so you put in sort of specific type of bed, but you can't really sort of put in specifics in a search. You want to see what's there, and then you can go and drill down into the data to find the data. And what that means is that it provides the users a more relevant results much more easier much easier um, if they just mm. end up with a results page with 10,000 results in how do they narrow that down further yeah and uh, it's interesting Actually, there's another thing I, I kind of noticed with that too is that I like the option in full text search where you can do like forms of words because again if a human thinks about a word like drive they think drives and drove and driving and so on they, they think they're all the same word but but computers don't but yeah computers just do bits and bytes they don't often understand sentiment and meaning and all that stuff um, and that's where full text um, does have the source functionality but it also has the ability of doing um, synonyms where it will do forms of yeah, and yeah you can do a search for drive and it'll find those find those words yeah but i think and one area where sql server full text um, doesn't really help you and that is um, where you've got forms of words that aren't actually forms of words okay it can do it in terms of the source so if I'm looking for uh, content on Internet Explorer then Internet Explorer as a, as a phrase is fairly fixed there aren't really any sort of language forms of so unlike your example of drive and drive yeah. etc but if someone wants to search on IE, then IE and Internet Explorer should be the same. And so what you have the ability of doing is um, doing a thesaurus, which allows people to search for one of those terms, and you get anything that includes either of them. And that's one of the nice... So in 2008, uh, you've got um, some nice thesaurus functionality. But one of the things it doesn't help with is spell checking. And if you're doing anything with a website... Um, Doing spell checking is often very, very crucial. Um, mm. you, uh, have you tried using the thesaurus to take common misspellings? Um, so I have, but what, one of the things about um, the thesaurus functionality is A, updating it. Um, yep. Unfortunately, they didn't get into SQL 2008 the ability of doing um, managing the thesaurus um, through the database, it's a file. Yeah, I, th I think that's worth mentioning too that the the file is actually an instance-based file <laughs> as well. Yeah. Uh, so it applies across all the databases, and to me, that's a that's an absolute killer because in a hosted SQL environment, you're talking about wanting to modify the thesaurus where you may only have access to one database, and so yeah, yeah. I think they really, really have to get the thesaurus within the database. Yeah, and it's uh, I mean it's just an XML file, and one of the downsides is if I put a term in, um, that term could only expanded 
expanded one way, um, which and spell checking you might want to expand it more than one way. And so, what I my preference is to actually implement some spell checking matching functionality within your application tier, which then passes the queries um, to the database. And what that and essentially that's what Google's doing um, when it does do you mean this by putting in this sort of spell checked version or a inflected version of, of what you've put in so if you if you spelt Microsoft wrong then um, it can sort of work out that Microsoft isn't a common term and, and find other other forms that might be more common. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Actually, what's hilarious uh, with, the, with the Google one, uh, it, it's an interesting insight into how the industry has moved. You know, like many years ago, the internet was all, people had discussed protocols and things like that. You know, it was all commonplace. And it was quite funny. I went searching the other day for SMTP, right? Um, and it oh. came back and said, did you mean smut? and i thought it was an interesting insight on how the whole industry is uh, the internet has moved (laughs) yeah that's yeah we uh so one of the other things i was working on last year was um a digital music download site and uh one thing i've soon realized is uh, from a search perspective if your name is pink you've got a much better chance of your content being found if your search is rihanna or something else that is um, there's another fairly obscurely spelt word um, name. It, you're relying on someone trying to find spell that name correctly. Um, I, mean, I was really really shocked that um, when we did some analysis, I think there was something like 50% of searches didn't match anything, and the reason they didn't match was because. Um, people had spelt things wrong or what they'd done was that um, if you want so imagine you've got music you've got the the artist you've got the description of the track you've got the album you've got the track title so you've got four elements there you might have genre as well if someone does a search and you have a field which is um, the track title and but someone puts in robbie williams and uh, angels then if you are looking for an exact match, it's not going to find it because Bobby Williams and Angels doesn't belong in that in the track title. So what you need to do is combine all your data together into a single column which has got all the information and then you can full text index that and that means that you can then um, put in Bobby Williams and Angels and then you'll find a track with Bobby Williams and Angels. But interestingly, going back to your... Um, comment about ranking one of the things in um, people always lament about SQL Server's ranking is that it's a fairly fixed ranking mechanism uh, that you can't change now one of the nice things with SQL 2008 and people don't really appreciate this is that if you want to do ranking then you can do your own ranking so what we did for this uh, download site was we've realized that if you put in Robbie, now the likelihood is that you're going to probably want Robbie Williams um, based on popularity. And however, in SQL Server 2008 and before, there's no way of doing popularity-based ranking directly. But what you can do very easily because of the way that they've changed things in SQL Server 2008 is just have another table which allows you to 
rank things whichever way you want and then you can just join to that table order by your ranking so order by I know sales rank or order by popularity and then you can order things whichever way you want so SQL Server does allow you to do your own custom ranking uh, but what you have to do is stick it in another table and then join to that table and that allows you to return Robbie Williams rather than some interesting something uh, obscure yeah I, I think I think there's some there's some guy that is called Robbie yeah, and uh, and because that is one word, Robbie, and it's an exact match, that generally ranks from a context perspective, i.e., how many times the word exists and those sorts of things, yeah. higher than Robbie Williams. Yeah, that's great. Well, listen, that's probably a good point to take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk a bit about how on what on earth we have to do to implement this stuff. Cool. As well as community resources such as this podcast. SQL Down Under offer mentoring services and both private and public training options. If you need to get your project back on track or if you need to get it off to a good start, why not give us a call? We have also recently introduced a series of online courses available in both Asia-Pacific and US-UK time zones. In particular, the first course that's offered in this series is Query Performance Tuning. You'll find details at www.sqldownunder.com. Welcome back from the break. So, Simon, tell us, is there a life outside SQL Server? Uh, yeah, just about. Although, uh, <laughs> at the moment, at the moment, um, we uh, so Greg mentioned uh, the uh, SQL Bits conference. Uh, we're planning the next one in November, and uh, when that when that starts kicking in, which it has done now. That just takes over my life, yeah. um, which uh, is is interesting given I've got um, a new baby coming in uh, two and a bit weeks. Yes, so I'm trying, <laughs> very I'm, soon. I'm I'm trying to work my work myself now, so I have some uh, some spare time mm. when that comes along. So, no, that's great. That's good. Well, so with full tech surge, then. Um, Given the fact we say, well, you know, this could be a desirable thing that we want to do to be able to make these sort of searches. Now, in 2008, there are some substantial changes to the architecture uh, of full text search where I found that if you look back at 2000 and earlier, it was sort of uh, pretty clunky to look after and then and also not very fast at processing things. I found in 2005, they tried to fix that a bit where... Things like when you did a backup of a database, even though it was still out in the operating system, you know, it, it kind of backed up the full text search and tried to restore it back and so on. So it was treated like an external file. But the good part in 2008 is it's all in the product. It is. Uh, they've, I mean, essentially it's a new product. Uh, yeah. They've uh, rewritten a lot of it and stuck it within the engine. Um, and this, this has been going on from a development perspective for... Um, quite a long time um, they see search as being very important um, I mean you can see from Microsoft's acquisitions and uh, yeah. and um, partnerships that search is, is something key because people there's so much data nowadays people need to find it um, so the, 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 there's lots of changes in the way that SQL Server works and essentially now um, it is uh, stored internally so it's stored within structures within the database uh, which means that backup works um, a lot nicer. Um, also, moving 
I mean, this is detaching and attaching becomes just easy because it's just within the database. Uh, anyone that's tried to move a full text uh, index in SQL Server 2005 and before will appreciate the pain. Um, and uh, but there's some interesting changes and. Uh, this is especially true if you're moving from 2005 to 2008. Um, what full text does is, I talked about the the index that full text creates. And what it does is, as with any index in a, in a database, if you've got a the, the best way of having an index on a table or primary key on a table is to have a small integer-based column, or a small column as your index key, uh, which because that means that uh, lookups are more efficient, it's a much more efficient index. Now, what this index does in, in full text is they actually generate an integer ID for that index. Now, what that means is that um, if your index on your table is, I don't know, varchar20 or even a composite index, there is a mapping between um, those keys, so between the full text index key and the key that on your table. And in and we should, should probably note that you have to have a primary key on the table anyway. Yes, and it has to be clustered as well, um, which is um, an interesting um, View, yes. Um, just like with 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 with, with, the next, with an XML index, you've got to do the same same as well. Um, and I think it's the same with the spatial index as well. It's sort of this, this drive for clustered primary keys. Anyway, that's another religious debate which we won't get into. Um, <laughs> the um, so in 2000 2005, part of the performance issues was mapping between these two um, structures. In 2008. Um, because it's all in a database, there is still this map called a doc ID map, which maps the doc ID, which is the full text index ID, to your um, keys of your table. What you should be doing is, if your full text indexing data is to have a small, still have a small integer column on your um, table, and the reason being is that if you have that, then full text index will use that as its index key as well. And so you don't have this mapping table. So imagine you've got a query um, that goes, so the construct for finding stuff within a full text index is using contains or free text. So select star from person where contains um, forename, comma, um, Simon. So where your person table contains a person with forename of Simon. <coughs> now, that looks fairly straightforward, and you think, well, it's just using an index straight off that table. If your index on your person table isn't an integer key, what you'll find is that you're actually joining three structures together. You're joining the full text index results, you'll be joining to the doc ID map, and then you'll be joining to your person table to get the rest of the data. That can be very arduous and a very poor from a performance perspective, especially if you've got large tables. So removing the doc ID map means that you're joining your full text index directly to your person table and so you can do much more um, performant queries uh, because the optimizer's got many more options about using nested loops and hash joins and merge joins and those sorts of things. Now the reason I really I'm going into this in depth is because um, with um, if you're 
migrating from 2005, you will have this doc ID map. Now, when you migrate, when you upgrade your database, uh, you have a number of options for upgrading your full text indexes. You can get them dropped and recreated. You can have them just upgraded, or you can have them um, dropped. Now, the dropped thing, they just, you just can't use anymore, so that doesn't really give you any any purpose. Um, the upgrade, what that does is it maintains the doc ID map. Even though you've got, you might have an integer key, it maintains that doc ID map, so you don't get these huge performance improvements. So what you need to do is you need to um, make sure you select the option which is to get them rebuilt. And SQL Server by default um, chooses this option, thankfully, after pestering them, um, and so your index will get rebuilt um, as the proper um, structure. And so you, that's where you get performance benefits. Mm -hmm. So if you do a query plan and with your full text queries and you find that you've got a doc ID map reference and your table that you're indexing has got an integer key, then that suggests that the upgrade has been, your index has been upgraded and not rebuilt. So what you should do is essentially um, get your index rebuilt and then it will um, get rid of that doc ID map. The other, the other thing I've found has made a big difference to the performance of the query plans is just the fact that there's now a single query plan that, that includes the full text uh, predicates as long as well as your normal uh, relational predicates. Yeah, it's very true. Um, and you can see, um, just as with the XML index stuff, you can see the operators that are being used on the full text index that are essentially um, extracting the index records from full text index. Uh, there's essentially an, an operator which, which does that, uh, similar to the spatial index side of things. The one thing I would say is um, query plans, um, and uh, so I'm writing a, a white paper at the moment on when query plans go wrong, and full text index is an area where query plans can go very, very wrong, and it all comes down to statistics. We can't, uh, the query optimizer can't really do anything unless it's got statistics about the data in your database. It doesn't, if it doesn't know whether the table's got one row or a million rows, then it's got to um, come up with some fairly generic plans. However, with 2005, they introduced some statistics on your full text data, and in 2008, you've also got statistics. And what this means is that the optimizer can, um, if you say search for everyone with the name of Simon, it can give you, it can give the optimizer a rough idea of how many records are coming back. The downside is, is if you parameterize your queries, you can really get into a bad state where the optimizer is, if someone comes in and puts um, I know, some obscure name in first and the optimizer comes along and goes, oh, I'm not going to match any rows, you can end up with the full text index going off and um, saying no rows and so you end up with one query plan. Someone comes along in and says, the next query says where Jones is, uh, where surname is Jones, when in the UK that matches a lot of people, and so your query plan can really go um, through, the, your, your query performance can really go through the floor. So it's an area to be really conscious of. And personally, you can often find that doing a, a recompilation on full text queries might be better in the long run because search type queries generally aren't instantaneous, 
and they can t- they will take between um, hundreds of milliseconds and seconds and so taking the hit of a, a slight uh, query compilation might be better for you in the, in the long run yeah, yeah, that's sort of interesting. The the other thing I've noticed is it seems to be a lot cleverer now. Where, you know, if I had, um, you know, things before where I had say two predicates and I had sort of a contains clause, and then I had something that you know might be a document type or something like that, uh, it, it just seems a lot lot cleverer now at, at at not looking through everything. You know, which which is what I found it used to do all the time. Yeah, there's a big thing about sort of mixed predicate queries where you've got a, a filter, a full text type filter, so where surname contains Jones um, and where person dot sex is male. Those sorts of predicates, you've got a relational predicate and you've got a full text predicate, they don't really work very well in, in 2008. In 2005 and before, you really had to do some um, interesting um work with them but the, the, the nice thing is because these are nice structures within the database um, the optimizer has got the full raft of um, join options for it so you can do merge joins you can have nested loop joins you can have hash joins and so it can really work well and if you if the relational predicate only returns a few rows then it can, you can end up with a nested loop join to your full text index and it can work really well um, one of the downsides with um, 2005 was the optimizer could um, come along and if your relational predicate appeared to be highly selective, then it could end up with a nested loop joint plan and on the end of that was the full text index remote scan. Now, the full text index in 2005 and before was an, an OLADB provider to this remote search service. And so with a nested loop, every to every row that comes into that you go off and execute this query. So if the optimizer thought that there was only one row being returned, but you actually had a thousand rows, then what you can end up finding was that the engine would go off and make a thousand calls to the external search service, which just basically your your search would just grind to a halt. And I think I, I remember we, we found this issue, I think when we upgraded to 2005, um, query plans the query optimizer tried to be clever but ended up shooting itself in the foot and looking at profiler we ended up with queries that had something like I think it was like a trillion reads or something the, 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 the number in the reads in the reads column on profiler was just so big it was just ridiculous it was if you equated it into pages it must have been billions it was it was processing like terabytes of data it was just bizarre um so yeah just an area where be keep an eye out for bad query plans uh, I, one of the things I quite liked with that in terms of the performance, I built a graph for one of the events a couple of years back, and um, what I did is populate an index of like 20 million rows with 1K of data on absolutely identical hardware. Um, and it was quite cute because in two, uh, SQL Server 2008, it was now about six minutes, and 2005, it used to be about 12 minutes. But notably, in SQL Server 2000, it was 20,000 minutes, <laughs> right? Uh, so, you know, the, the difference in performance is, is like extraordinary. But uh, 
the bit I liked is I also drew the graph up for SQL Server 7. And of course, the people that did that are still waiting for it to complete today. You know, so <laughs> the, the performance was a fairly long thing. But, um, yeah. but the thing is, yeah, it, it, I think part of the thing with old pain comes from people who have tried it around the SQL Server 2000 days, and it really, really, the, the, the performance of creating indexes and things was dramatically slower than it is now. Yeah, the, the the population aspects is so much quicker. Um, it's so much more efficient at doing so. Um, the, you still still use the same technology essentially, um, which is the iFilter stuff, which takes a query or takes the content out of your column and breaks that down into words. Um, so that's still pretty much the same thing, but they're much cleverer around doing things in batches and not doing in individual reads and those sorts of things. Uh, so, yeah, in yes, fact, so. look, it's probably worth, for those that haven't looked at this, um, just a quick wander through the main terminology. So, I mean, an iFilter is yeah. usually where we start. So maybe if you just define that. So the iFilter is the um, technology which takes content and it's content-specific and breaks that into um, text. So, you, for example, you have a word iFilter, you have a... Excel I filter, you have a PDF I filter, you have a uh, JPEG I filter even, and what they do is they will extract the the textual content out of that document, whether it's a image or whatever it is, um, and a lot of lots of those come in the product, and if you use um, SharePoint or you use Exchange or you use any of the Microsoft search technologies, they all use I filters. Uh, it's probably worth noting too I think that the output of that even when we say text it's really more a stream of characters isn't it you know at, yeah. at that point so I mean the thing is once you start we're, we're still not at that stage even talking about words no it's just it is just characters um, and uh, that's because essentially all you want out of these things are, are characters um, what you then have is um, well, one thing to know about iFilters is there is uh, if you're doing if you've got 64-bit servers, which I think most people are um, using nowadays, uh, the, there is no 64-bit PDF iFilter um, in the product, and uh, what you have to do is go off and get one. What also is interesting is that there is no 2007 Office 2007 iFilter in the product you have to go off and get it and there is an iFilters pack which is um, on my blog uh, if you do a search for office uh, iFilter I think you might find my blog but uh, it's a download from microsoft.com um, so that's iFilters what you then have is so these they return all, all the characters from the content you then have that needs to be broken up into words and so you have things called word breakers now word breakers are um language specific and so what they do is take the content and break it down into um, specific words and the reason they are language specific is that some languages have compound words and so um, you want to split words down into um, um, multiple words um, you also have different white space rules so some languages you need to break on certain characters but also if you've got things like Japanese and Mandarin and all those sorts of languages they have their own specific word breakers and that's what essentially breaks the content down into 
and the individual terms that are in your document. I always have a chuckle uh, when I look at the list of word breakers too. They always have English and they have English UK. Yeah, I never really get that. <laughs> so they're kind of taken over the language. <laughs> no, but uh, it's, yeah, it's it's worth noting that in 2008 there are a lot of languages supported out of the box. Yes, yeah, it's, it's 40 odd or something, I think. Yeah, I'm sitting, like looking at a list of them at the moment, and uh, I know that uh, there were quite a number that were unchanged from 2005, and then there were a whole lot that were kind of like replaced with better versions. But then if you look at the ones they added just in 2008, they added Arabic, Bengali, Bunga- uh, Bulgarian, Canadian, <laughs> which I thought was interesting, uh, <laughs> Catalan, they added Croatian, Acrylic, uh, uh, Gujarati, I presume it must be like an Indonesian one, I'm not sure. Um, and then Hebrew, Hindi, Icelandic, Indonesian, Latvian, Lithuanian, Malay, Malayam, Marathi, Norwegian, Punjabi, Romanian, Serbian, Slovak, Slovenian, Tamil, you know, and so on. It, it just goes on and on, and they're just the ones that were added in 2008 alone. Gosh. Yeah, it's... Uh the, the one thing to note on word breakers is because there are a lot of new ones in SQL Server 2008, what you will be best off doing is, uh, if you are indexing based on one of those languages, is to actually rebuild your index uh, to get the benefit of the new word breakers. Um, if you upgrade, it won't repopulate your index. What it will do is um, to get the, a new repopulated index based on the new word breaker you had to specifically request a, a repopulation yeah even uh, even some of the ones that were already there were updated so you have things like uh, brazilian dutch french german italian japanese portuguese the neutral one was updated spanish swedish i mean they were all there are new versions of all of those and so if you as you say if you just do an upgrade you, you're not going to get uh, you know the new effect of those word breakers where yeah and if you do have the opportunity to rebuild you'll get a much better thing and so so once we've done the word breaking what happens after that um so what happens after that is those in those um terms then get put uh they get compressed and get put into the index. Um, now, actually, at what point does this... Do they, actually, they don't put synonyms in the index, do they? No, no, it's indeed not. Um, and uh, so the synonym stuff we talked about earlier, um, what ends up happening is that's a query time operation. Um, and so they build this index, which is based on those terms. Um, one of the really nice things about SQL Server 2008 is you can actually get those terms back out of your index. So if you want to do um, some sort of term extraction on your content, then you can use full text to do that. Um, word of warning, there are two DM, two or three DMVs that you use to get this content out. Uh, the downside is that um, they are because the index is a compressed index, um, it's, there's no really efficient way of just extracting all the content. And so you can't get content for a specific row in a table. What you've got to get is the whole table of content. Um, but it does allow you to understand the distribution of keywords within your or terms within your index. So if you want to build that discoverability side of things, so um, allow people to do um, tagging, so automated tagging type stuff, so you can find out which words are common within the content that you've indexed. Then you can use these DMVs for getting that 
content back out of the index. Yeah, I noticed that the, there's two nice levels. There's kind of like the overall index, and then there's also a breakdown by document. But uh, yeah. the, the actually, one of the other functions I really do like is uh, there's the SysDM FTS parser. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you've played with that much, but I, I think yeah. that's quite sweet. Yeah, if, if you're ever working in uh, multiple languages, uh, that is a godsend. Um, one of the interesting nuances, especially if you're working, so if you're working with languages, thesauruses, or, or um, you're doing inflectional terms, so you're looking for, so um, inflectional terms is looking for uh, those words like drive and drove, etc. If you're doing any of those, then it is dear. DMFTS parser is your friend because what it does is if I do a search, it will take your search string and then it will then go off and return you all the words that, all the terms that, it, that the query is going to go and look for after it's done things like the source changing synonyms and also stop lists. So one of the things we haven't talked about is um, bad words that you don't want to look for. By default, for example, in English, words like the, at, it, on don't really add any value to your search. So they are ignored. They are, they are essentially removed. And uh nice thing in SQL Server 2008 is those are all now managed within the database using T-SQL. Um, and also you can have multiple, multiple stop lists. You also have multiple... You have stop lists per language, so it's much more flexible compared to SQL Server 2005 and before. Um, but if you're using these and you're suddenly finding you're wondering why a query is not returning the data you expect, um, what it'll do is it'll show you things like word breaking. So if you put in multi-million and put a hyphen in the middle, then what you'll find is you'll see it is searching for multi-million as a single phrase, but also multi and million. And uh, so that's one of the really nice features about um, SQL Server 2008. Yeah, that, I, f- I find that incredibly sweet. It does strike me as a little odd that it's actually a... Um it's a DMV or a DMF, but 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 that's another discussion too, because it it almost seems to me like just a string parsing function. But uh, I, I suppose the the key thing they're putting it there for is to help you uh, debug or diagnose the, the behaviour of of the full text index. Yeah, I guess. I mean, so it does it does the word breaking, and it does the sort of the whole query aspect of things. So if you put complex queries like and and or and in and um, forms of and all those sorts of things then it does that and it does the stop list and does the thesaurus so it does do a lot of stuff mm. um, actually it's probably worth mentioning too I'm, I was thinking uh, with a stop list people say look why would you add your own words terribly much but a common example I always find is that for most companies uh, having their own company name uh, you know, in the stop list is pretty useful because I mean otherwise typically every single document you index will, will have that in it yeah, that's interesting. I never really thought about that. Um, I've, uh, I have to be honest that in most scenarios I've worked is people have taken stuff out of stop lists. Uh, for example, in the music site that I've talked about, uh, the is quite quite an important word in many bands, especially when you're called the the. The the, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's a bit like uh, they were saying when Google first appeared, you know, people go searching for C sharp. And, uh, yeah. and of course, you know, I mean, yeah, that, that wasn't what you were going to find. 
Well, I'm, I bring that, that is one of the areas where DMFS parser really comes into its own. If you put in C sharp uh, and you change case, you can see fundamental differences in what you're going to be searching for. So um, that's just something to be very, very wary of. Mm. Um, and obviously, running uh, IT job website, doing searching for C sharp and those sorts of words are, are very common. Yeah. Well, listen, just to sort of finish up on this, and so uh, there are plenty of resources around to let people get used to this. I actually have recorded a couple of webcasts on uh, things called uh, answering the queries people really want to ask and things like that. But but just in general, the, the general approach is we're building a table. We have some textual data that we want to index in that. We build a full-text catalogue. is uh, really a container for the indexes, and then we build indexes over the top, and then eventually we start using just contains or free text as sort of predicates, and there's also table versions of those. Yeah, um, that's essentially it. And one of the things about if you're coming from 2005, the full-text catalogue aspect is now really just doesn't really do anything. Um, in 2005, that was the storage mechanism, but now um, your full-text indexes are stored on full text file groups and uh, so it is not what it was but so full text catalogs don't really have any purpose anymore yeah I find most um, people create one and then forget it <laughs> you know, that's yeah, it. yeah very true um, one thing I would say from a design perspective so we, you have this table with content now uh, if you imagine your product table has got a product description on it one of the things I talked about is that you want to combine multiple columns together into a single column now one of the nice things you can do in 2008 is you can index a computed column so you can have a computed column which is a concatenation of all of your queries um, or all of your columns so it's your product description your product title title your product category um, and that is a nice way of doing things the one thing i would I, also say of, yeah you're just saying like a persisted calculated column yeah. yeah, well, it doesn't even have to be Which actually persisted. came in 2005, those, didn't they? So you could have a... And previously in 2000, you could have a calculated column, but the thing was it would work it out every time you select the value, uh, where in 2005 on, we got the ability to persist the column, and so it, it it's basically only when you update or insert that it works out the value, and then the selects are very fast. And that also means we have data we can then index reliably and so on. Yeah, the, the really nice thing about so imagine you've got your product description column, which is, I know, on average, a 1,000 bytes. Um, if you do this computed column, um, if you had to essentially store another computed, another version, so you're using another 1,000 bytes, your storage is just going to go up and up and up. So in 2008, the full-text index will allow you to query a non-persisted computed column, which is a really, really neat feature. Um, one of the things you can also do, um, and this is something that um, we talked about having combined relational, relational and full-text predicates on your queries um, in 2005 and before, and that really didn't perform. So what, one of the ways around that was to essentially put your relational columns into your full-text data, and then what you could do is add those to your full-text query, and so you only end up with a full-text query. Now, you can still do that and still use that for some nice features. And the reason, and one of the nice features about that is the fact that if you've got um, 
a one-to-many table, so a person and a job type, for instance, and they might have multiple job types. It's very difficult to say in a relational query, give me all those people that have got a job type which is a consultant and a job type of full-time. You essentially yeah. have to do two two joins to do that. But in full text, it's very easy to say where contains job type full-time, job type consultant in one query. And so it's one of the interesting things that you can achieve some real nice performance improvements by flattening out and essentially um, denormalizing your data and then full text indexing that. Um, and then on the, the final note, I'd say for, from a design perspective, I often prefer to store my the data that I'm going to index on a separate table. The reason being is because often that's large object data, and what that means is that um, I've got this separate table, which is what is full text index, and my it means that I can do my indexing on that table directly. And the, the benefit is I have a one-to-one relationship. My person table, for example, I have my person table, and then I have my person text search table I can do online index rebuilding on my person table which you can't do if you've got large object data in it so if you move your large object data into another table which you can then search you can then full text index it gives you the ability of doing online index rebuilding on your um, on your other tables magic Listen, actually, one other final thing I'll throw in, I suppose my final one, is also keep in mind you can do full text uh, indexing on the new file stream data type as well, so, yes. uh, which is, an, I, th- I think, another sweet thing. But uh, we'll talk further about file stream on another show another day. But uh, listen, thanks, Simon. And look, so what's coming up next in your world? Where will people see you? So I've, uh, I think, as with many SQL Server people, um, coming up for conference madness coming up in September, October, November. <laughs> Indeed. Um, I'm actually going to um, Bulgaria for uh, doing a conference in Bulgaria in October, um, doing, uh, I think, a webcast in September for, for Quest. Uh, but the big thing for me is um, SQL Bits coming the end of November. We've, um, we've got um, Donald Farmer coming over doing a, a whole... Uh, workshop on Gemini and R2. Uh, we've Excellent. got it's we've extended it to three days. It's it's great. I don't know, forget to, not to forget to mention my uh, user group, so SQLSocial.com um, mm-hmm. in uh, London and. Are you Cambridge, going so. to get across for the past summit this year? So I'm not sure yet. I, sure? I do Hopefully. hope so. I do hope mm. so, but um, with baby due, um, yeah. baby <laughs> around. Um, <laughs> I'm probably going to be in TechEd, so there's past TechEd and then SQL bits. In oh, yeah, TechEd, so we've got TechEd in, uh, yeah, that's right, actually. It's the past summit in November, and then the week following, there's uh, TechEd in Berlin. Uh, and then, yeah. in fact, for those that are really keen, there's uh, PDC in LA the following week. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. so SQL, SQL bits is the and same And then SQL week bits as, uh, the same weekend as that, yeah, that's right. So, yeah. PDC. Um, lots and lots so, of yeah, them. I'm, I'm not sure whether three weeks away from uh, New Baby <laughs> will be uh, a good thing, but uh, Indeed not. we'll see. I do love going to pass. Yeah. Pass is, uh, is great. So. All good. Well, terrific. Thanks, Simon. Thanks so much for your time today. That's it. Thank you. Thanks, Greg.